Hi, so welcome back to the Critical Response Performance and Innovation Podcast. So today I want to talk a little bit around PTSD and defence or mental health and suicide. And I just want to ask some different questions. So I approach this from a different context because I think it's worth exploring this as a wicked problem rather than just a complicated problem. And wicked problem is something that has a multitude of factors. There's a, a number of sort of different factors and considerations and individual circumstances that go into trying to understand it rather than just looking at it from this kind of sort of trauma or deployment mental health theory where if you're in defense you've got a mental health problem or if you've deployed you've got a mental health problem because I think there's far more complexity in this and just lumping everyone in the same category is having issues with the people that are actually okay so when we look at the rates of PTSD or suicide. So suicide gets a lot of uh, publicity, okay, and it is an issue. I'm not going to deny that. But when you look at the actual numbers or the rates, 99.98% of ex-service members that discharge from the defence do not suicide. So it's a very, very low percentage. Like when you round it, it doesn't even – it closes round to zero. So – when you look at it as whole numbers for everyone that does suicide, it's somewhere between four and a half to five thousand that don't. And these numbers do fluctuate when you look at some of the subcategories, but this is just average rates. When you compare the average rate against general population, there's actually not much of a significant difference. Okay. Again, the rates do fluctuate, so in some circumstances it is significant, in other circumstances it, it's not significant. So one of the main things that gets blamed for it is operations or deployment or this trauma exposure theory that you're exposed to trauma, you have mental health issues, you're a suicide risk, okay? But I don't know if the data really supports that theory and there are some researchers out there that are challenging it. So when you look at it, the correlation between it just doesn't really hold up. So when you look at those that have served on combat operations against those that haven't, there's no significant difference in deployments. So deploying isn't a risk factor. When you look at the data within that, those that have been on combat operations actually been exposed to combat, there's indications that they are actually at lower risk than people that haven't deployed. Again, there's not a huge amount of numbers. There could be some error in there, and it's difficult to really get specifics. But that doesn't say that it won't become a problem in the future because a lot of the suicide data actually comes from Vietnam veterans. So in 10, 15 years, Afghanistan could be more of a problem than it is now. When you look at actual service within defense so service is or it does appear to be a protective measure so the longer you're in or there's a re- inverse relationship between length of service and suicide risk so the longer you're in the more your risk comes down so for my personal circumstances having done 20 22 years whatever it is looking at my age age matched peer group in society so i think it's 40 to 55 or whatever that 40 to 50 whatever that group is my risk factors from time in service in that age group compared to general population of the same age is half. So I'm at half the risk of general population. So for me, my service has been protective. When you add in all the combat operations and everything like that, I'm probably in a better place than most people because I've developed a whole heap of mental skills, mental strength and resilience around overcoming repeated exposure to trauma and I've worked out how to deal with it. It hasn't been a problem and I've had a number of the other things that are required in place to deal with it. So ultimately the question there is if rates aren't changing between combat operations and deployment, if length of service is a protective factor, then why do we have this message that veterans or ex-defence members are a suicide risk or they have mental health problems because the data doesn't really support it. Okay, If anything, it suggests that 
defense or operations could actually be a positive thing for mental health. Okay, I'm not saying it is, but a lot more, but more people are doing better than those that are at risk. When we look at some of the main risk factors from service, okay, operations doesn't play into it. Exposure to trauma doesn't play into it. It is those that have served less than one year, those that have been involuntary discharged, and those. Uh, and there's a significant difference between other ranks, so you enlisted versus your officers. So what it does indicate is that anyone, and the main risk factor for involuntary discharge is medical discharge with the risk factor being musculoskeletal injury, and the risk factor is training. Okay, so when you look at it from that perspective, if you lower your fitness levels, people are at higher risk of injury, people at higher risk of injury, at higher risk of involuntary discharge, they're at higher risk of suicide in the first or in the first couple of years after leaving defence. So when you look at it as a, from the statistics of the risk factor, okay, it indicates more around some of the preparation, some of the recruiting than it does in what they're doing within their career. Okay, and involuntary discharge does have a range of factors that's just one it's one of the most prominent factors but there's also other things around people have identity or purpose involved in these things or have big connection belonging these sort of things within their time in defense when they've removed involuntary they have moved away from that okay and then there's some issues around what their future looks like because a lot of them then become dependent on deviated entitlements they're really unchallenged or they can't find another purpose and that creates its own problem when you look at individual circumstances or risk factors outside of the organisational ones, it is people with a previous history of self-harm. So the question has to be asked, are they at an increased risk before they join defence? Is defence attracting people that may be at higher risk? Divorce and separation and relationship issues are the other big risk factor. So people that are getting divorced, people that are separating from their family, okay, and when you look at general population, Divorce or separation, the risk factor is two and a half to three times higher than people that aren't divorced or separated. So it's a risk factor everywhere. Okay, does the defence lifestyle increase the risk of divorce and separation because of the amount of movement that goes around the transitions or these sort of things? I don't know. That data is yet. I haven't looked at that data, but potentially there's no reason why that wouldn't be creating an issue. So again, Deployments and operation trauma aren't factored into that, okay? There's other issues at play here. When you look at the subgroups, yes, there is a big difference. So one of the questions around subgroups is, is it worthwhile redefining from combat veterans to ex-service members and people that have been discharged at an earlier rate? Is it worth looking at them in their subgroups so that we can start to identify the problem and put the right solution in place for that individual? Because the people that are fine and healthy the current message is creating a problem for them. So even when I look at the people that I went through with in my peer group that were exposed to high levels of combat, they were exposed to high levels of trauma, okay? So theoretically, with the current exposure suicide theory or correlation, they should be at the highest risk. But they're individuals who are going on and doing really well. I don't know anyone in my peer group or anyone I served with that has suicided yet. But a number of them have gone on and created multi-million dollar businesses from scratch. Okay, they're CEOs of really high functioning organizations or really prominent organizations. They're presidents or vice presidents of organizations. They're partners in finance companies and partners in other businesses. 
some of them are industry disruptors that are creating emerging technology to sort of really revolutionize, revolutionize industries. Okay, there's a number of really high-functioning entrepreneurs and a vast range of other individual pursuits which aren't business-related but are important to those individuals. And a lot of them are performing really, really well. They're outperforming people with no military experience. So military experience can be highly beneficial okay but the current message is having or it's creating issues for a number of people transitioning because the perception out there is if you're coming from defense or you're a veteran you're a mental health risk okay so we need to change that message because a lot of them are bringing high level individual skills they're built they're bringing mental strength resilience problem solving a number of skills that you just cannot get without going into these occupations where you're exposed to adversity duress okay and you're in ambiguous environments and you're developing yourself beyond what you'd get outside of these roles. Okay, so when we look at the understanding of our suicide, there's a couple of questions that need to be raised around that. And that is how much of our understanding comes from survival bias? Because we can't interview people that have suicide. You can't just ask them, okay, well, how did you get to this point? So there's they interview and question family and friends, people around them. The researcher comes in and has their own bias about the belief of what they think causes suicide. So we've got this sort of psychological autopsy that goes on, which is biased. Okay, friends and family are going to tell the story that they think. They don't really understand what was going on because if they did, would they have been able to help? Okay, they're not. people rarely factor in their own situation or their own impact on other people. Hey, were they available? Was there deep connection? Okay, what else was going on? There, it's easy to blame trauma or something else rather than take some accountability if that's the case. Okay, researchers have their bias. Okay, and there's also bias that exists under emotion. Okay, people don't think rationally when they're on the high levels of emotion, so they're going to tell a story of what they believe. Is it true? Maybe. Is it biased? Probably. Okay, but we, it's difficult to get to the real source of why it happened. So, understanding it kind of comes from survival bias and even when we look at the review into veteran suicide survival bias has to be a component of that because they're interviewing everyone around them not that individual to try and work out what other people thought was going on which isn't always the action which isn't always accurate okay so 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 what really so i think it's worth changing the message i think it's worth questioning the message that we have out there that ex-service members are always broken because it's potentially doing more harm than good okay it creates this negative bias for future employees of people that are transitioning out of defense who perceive these defense members as a mental health risk or suicide okay they look at them and think you know is this person unstable okay am i going to create a workplace issue by bringing them in here do i have to deal with these problems down the track okay and it's creating barriers to transition because any barrier to employment okay is a barrier to someone transitioning out and just moving on with their life in a really positive productive manner okay it's also creating issues around pursuing recreational activities such as hunting responsible gun ownership these sort of things because the perception is is that veterans are a risk okay don't give them firearms because they're a risk where the reality is is the risk factors are probably much lower than a lot of other demographics out there that are allowed to have or allowed to have firearms licenses go hunting these sort of things and this is just an example okay and veterans or ex-service members are probably more responsible with weapons than anybody else just because of the amount of familiarity they have with it. And if they were a risk, their previous access to weapons probably would have created an issue in itself anyway. Okay, so I think it's worth changing this message or reviewing the message that's out there around the fact that four and a half to 5,000 veterans that or ex-service members that are leaving defence 
aren't going to suicide, okay? Maybe they have some mental health problems, okay? But even when you look at the numbers, the numbers aren't that much different to general population numbers, okay? When you look at the current levels of teenagers and young adults, their issues are probably higher than veterans anyway, okay? And they have less life skills because they just don't have that experience and exposure, okay? And the last kind of thing that I think is worth asking the question about is dependency, Okay, because there's a whole heap of organisations out there that have made business models out of veteran health, okay, and one of their things is they need to maintain funding, donations, okay, that financial revenue or income stream, so changing the message that veterans are fine and telling veterans that they're fine is kind of counterproductive to business, okay, I'm not saying many of them do, but it has to be a consideration that these organisations have to have veteran health as a priority over business models. So if we keep, if we solve this problem, okay, and veteran health isn't a problem, are they willing to shut their doors? So there's organisations out there where it's in their best interest to convince veterans that they do have health problems, okay? Again, I'm not saying that they're doing it, but it has to be questioned, okay? There's also this likely dependence or people becoming dependent on DVA entitlements because... PTSD is being financially incentivized. You can go and get a PTSD diagnosis and get a lump sum or you can get a pension for the rest of your life. You can get paid to pretty much do nothing. So there's an incentivization financially that by getting a diagnosis, you don't have to work anymore. You can get a free ride through life, okay? And for some people, that has to be attractive or that's going to be attractive. So there's potentially... Uh, level of inaccuracy or overdiagnosis for these issues creating an elevated number of rates or an elevated rate because some people are desiring it because it's an easy path. They just don't want to have to go and work. So there is a number of people who are entitled or feel entitled to DVA benefits, okay, and they whinge at DVA all the time about this stuff and DVA isn't really the problem, okay. There is an organisation that's trying to do its best and it's providing something. So most of them probably should be grateful that there's something there rather than angry because they're not getting what they're entitled to okay so either way i think the future for the majority of transitioning members who have probably grown from their exposure who can go on and do successful or can go on and successfully have a career or whatever it is they want okay is being compromised or hindered by the current message that veterans or ex-service people have mental health issues okay so i think it's worth revisiting that issue raising some questions and asking okay what is the actual state? What do these people bring? Okay, and let's treat them case by case or individual by individual, not just this blanket diagnosis that they all have problems, okay? If there are members that uh, have issues or need help, then certainly everything's there and they should receive that help, okay? There shouldn't be any barriers to anyone getting the help that they need. But we shouldn't be putting everyone in the same category because it's coming at the cost of those who are actually fine and trying to continually progress forward. So I think it's worth asking a few questions and taking a bit of a different perspective, okay? Maybe everything I've said is incorrect. Maybe the problem is trauma. Maybe it is exposure. But I think it's worth taking a contradictory viewpoint, asking some questions, what if what we think isn't true, okay? Are we hurting more people than we're helping? How do we identify the problems that specific people have so we can give them the specific solutions to their problem? Okay, let's look at this more as a wicked problem where it's individually, where it's case by case, individual, it's dependent on their factors, their circumstances, and we need to treat those rather than just saying this message or putting out this message that veterans or ex-service members are broken because it's just not helping the vast majority of people that are fine who are high-functioning or high-performing who will do really well that are kind of got these barriers to them progressing forward.